Well, good morning. Good to see you. Um, I grew up in a, in a spiritual environment where everybody acted like living the Christian life was easy. You know, there's just nothing to it. You just had to do a couple of things. You had to, well, you had to get baptized. You had to take communion. had to say a couple pre-written prayers, really tough, and attend church and know when to kneel and stand and stuff like that. And, and then along with the things that you had to do, there were, you know, some things that you couldn't do. You know, like, well, have any fun at all. But as easy as they tried to make it, I never found the Christian life to be easy. On the contrary, I always found it to be difficult, profoundly difficult. It's taken me a long time, if I'm honest. I mean a very, very long time to, to genuinely move forward on my spiritual journey. And I have. It's been decades, and I have moved forward. Not nearly as much as I would have thought in the early days. I'm not nearly as far as I thought I'd be when I first started out because it's just proved to be profoundly difficult. But I do have to tell you, all the forward movement, as difficult as it's been, has proven to be worth it. I mean, my relationship with God these days is is by far the single most important part of my life because it helps me to put everything else that's of value in its proper place. My marriage is a great marriage only because God has become a vital part of my life and the same with all of my families and relationships. It, it just helps me to put everything in its proper place. But to be honest, as valuable as it is, as as defining as it's been in my life, it's still not easy. I mean, living the Christian life, maintaining a dynamic and growing relationship with God has, has been difficult for me and is still difficult for me. And so if you're looking for like an easy journey or an easy fix, I just need to tell you right on the front end that the spiritual journey is not going to be that. Because here's what I found. I'm not alone in this. Oh, there are a lot of people who are pursuing rituals and traditions and man-made religious behavior that's easy. Do this, don't do that. That's all there is to it. But, but those who are genuinely seeking to know God and be in relationship with him find it just as difficult as I do. And here's why. Maintaining a relationship with God is ant- antithetical to how we naturally live. Maintaining a, a vibrant spiritual life is contrary to what comes naturally for us in our, in our physical lives because we live by our senses. I mean, that's how we live in the physical world. We, we, what, what we see, what we taste, what we smell, what we hear, what we touch, it, it helps us to determine our choices and our directions and what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. But the spiritual journey can't be experienced if we don't go beyond our physical senses. And that's difficult because as, as physical beings, we are locked into and attuned to our physical sentence, senses, but, but we have to go beyond them to know God. Do, do you know what the defining characteristic of the, of the spiritual journey is? The defining characteristic of those who genuinely come to know and live for and please and experience God really is? It's a one-word answer. The defining characteristic is faith. 
faith is the critical issue of anyone who's going to know God. It's, it's the whole point. And faith doesn't come naturally to us. I mean, it's not like our physical senses. It's, it's something that we have to work on, and ultimately it's something that only God can enliven in us. The, the right kind of faith isn't something we're born with like we are our senses, and yet it's vital. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 as an example, just a couple of verses, beginning with verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. There it is. It's this spiritual sense that that one's developed helps us to be absolutely positive about that which we can't see. And the Bible says this is what the ancients were commended for. Hebrews 11 is going in to declare the great hall of fame of people who have a relationship with God in the past, the ancients they're called here, and they're being commended by God, they're being congratulated by God, they're being lifted up and celebrated by God. And at the core of what he's celebrating is the fact that they had faith. And then he says, you need to know, if you're going to ever be commended by God, if you're ever going to experience his pleasure, if you're ever going to give him pleasure, if you're ever going to maintain a spiritual life like these did, then you need the same thing. Look at verse 6. It says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. You'll never bring pleasure to God without faith because anyone who comes to him must have faith that he exists. Know that he's there without seeing him and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Well, this weekend in the book of Mark, the issue of faith becomes front and center. It's the focus, as it should be, because it is the foundational, critical issue of what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus. And so let's just pour into this part of the series. Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. So leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat, and there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And I have to tell you, that's an amazing verse right there. I mean, they woke him up. There's a big squall, kind of hurricane thing going on. And he just kind of stands up and says, quiet, be still. That's the easy part. But then it was quiet, and it was still. And I'm telling you, this is remarkable to me, especially in this moment of my life. Because once a year, Roxanne, my wife and I, watch our four grandchildren for just a little over a week. Our oldest daughter, Carissa, and our son-in-law, Mike, have these four kids, and, and we love to help them get away for just a little over a week every year so that they can, you know, rebuild the relationship and stay in love, as our young granddaughter calls it, so they can go on a long, 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 long date. That's what they did. And so this was the week we just returned the kids yesterday. Thank God. (laughs) Because for that week plus, nothing was calm, nothing was quiet, and nothing was still. I can't tell you how many times I said, be quiet and still. Now look at I'm a grown adult 
They're little kids. And I spoke, be quiet and still. And nothing ever happened with these kids. Can't imagine speaking to nature and having that happen. And here, Jesus says, quiet, be still. And the wind and the waves became calm. And in the wake of that, he said to his disciples, why were you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Before we dig into this, let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for authoring your living word to us. And I thank you for each one who's come. And I just ask that now that you would help us to see that these words have life that you would help us to see the importance of faith and that we really can trust you and help us to learn how and may we leave here different for having been exposed to this your word and we'll thank you in Jesus name amen now this story provides a ton of faith lessons and I'm going to throw out a bunch of them at you and then in the end I'm going to show you how kind of they all converge together into one big truth that I believe if we choose to weave into the fabric of our choices and our life can change us forever. But these faith lessons, some of them will be important to you and others will be important to someone else but can be life defining if we'll apply them. And the first one I see as I walk through this story is simply this. Sometimes God intentionally leads us into storms. Now I'm sorry not to be giving you better news this early morning on a weekend but it's true. Sometimes God intentionally leads us into storms and by us... I mean those of us who are actually trying to put him first, trying to seek him, trying to know him, trying to live by faith. All you have to do is read the first couple of verses there. Let me read them again. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat, and there were also other boats with him. And a furious squall, this hurricane-type storm, came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now here's the question. I'll let you get at this truth, this this faith lesson. Whose idea was it to get into the boat? Do you think he knew what would happen when they got into the boat to go to the other side? Yes. What was he doing? Jesus, God, was leading them into the storm. So much for easy. I mean, I've been told so many times in so many spiritual environments that following Jesus makes life easy. Following Jesus makes life comfortable. Following Jesus makes life this. No, it doesn't. You know one of the reasons so many people don't follow him and disobey him is because often he's leading them into the center of a storm and they think they can skirt it. But what we don't understand is that it's better to be with him in the middle of the storm than it is without him in the calm. I mean, that's just the way it is. But sometimes God intentionally leads us into storms. And some of us are mad at God, bitter at God, rejecting God, pulling away from God because he led us into a storm. And what we're experiencing is a storm of our own making in the calm we're trying to pursue instead of the beauty and peace he can give us in the midst of the storm he was leading us in. We have to be careful. Sometimes he leads us into the storm. Now, the question is why, of course. 
I'm a big question guy. Why, why, why? And you need to know that God the Father graciously answers that question sometimes, but not always. And I understand this because I've been a dad of three children who are now adults, and I'm the pop-pop of four grandchildren, and why is one of their favorite questions. And I determined, I grew up in a home where the answer to why was, because I told you, do it if you don't want to die. I mean, that's the kind of home I grew up in, right? And so I determined I was going to be the dad who always answered the question why. I was going to give a reason. But look it. The three billionth time my kids asked why, I just said, because if you want to live, you'll do it. I mean, it's like sometimes fathers aren't going to give the reason, and God's the same, you know? But he did give us some reason. Why, why does he lead us in the storm? Well, sometimes he tells us it's, it's to test us, to prove us. He did this with Abraham, the father of faith. He tested him with his son Isaac. But you need to know God doesn't give us a test, so he'll know how we'll answer he already knows how we'll answer he gives us a test so that we'll know how we'll answer it's really to help prove to us that we have faith or don't have faith it's it's for us and sometimes that's why he leads us in the storm sometimes i think i have more faith than i do and he proves it by letting me be in a storm sometimes i have um more faith than i think i do you know and and he proves it by letting me be in a storm but sometimes, it's for a different reason. Sometimes, you know, God leads us into a storm to teach us and to grow us. I mean, if we're honest, come on, most of us haven't done our greatest growing on the top of the mountain sunbathing in the sunshine, right? Most of us have done our greatest growing in the valley in crisis. Just how it is. And God wants to grow us. In James 1, 2, he says, you know, consider it joy when you fall into all kinds of these tests because, hey, you're going to mature through them. And God also tells us that sometimes he leads us into the storm simply so he'll, he can reveal himself to us. And I find myself always saying, God, reveal yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me. Show your glory to me. And, and sometimes it's only in the storm. That's kind of what this passage is about. I mean, they saw his glory in this moment because they were in the storm. They could have never seen him calm the wind and, and calm the waves if they weren't in the storm. He revealed himself. But, but as I already said, sometimes... He doesn't tell us the reason. Sometimes only he knows. But no matter what the storm or how violent or what the reason, he's always, always given us what we can know that will keep us faithful, trusting him, even in the storm. We can know he's always good. We can know he's always there we can know he always loves us we can know he's always right and we can know he always does what's right and so the point is we can always trust him even when he leads us into a storm i think some of you are in a storm right now you just need to trust him in this passage i find another faith lesson that kind of leaps out at me others are both watching and impacted by our faith. Very often we think that our faith is personal and private. We think it's only really impacting us and our lives and what we do. And so if we express faith, that's for us. If we don't express faith, then that's going to you know, be about us. But, but we don't understand that there are others who are watching and going to be impacted by our faith. Yeah, family, but beyond that, friends, co-workers, 
I, I get this from, from verse 36. There's this one little sentence that's really an odd sentence, really, in light of the whole story. It says, there were also other boats with him. Who cares? I mean, you really know that has nothing to do with the flow of the story, right? He says, let's get in the boat, let's go to the other side and everything. And then there's this weird sentence. There were other boats with him. It has nothing to do with anything. There were other boats with him. Okay. And when you understand literature and writing, you know that, that fiction often makes sure that every single point and metaphor and storyline is moving the story forward. You, you don't want to leave any extraneous material in there because... You know, you want it to move towards the point. But modern day fiction is starting to add meaningless stuff because fiction looks like fiction when everything is moving somewhere. But nonfiction, the reporting of history, when someone's telling you a story of what happened, they throw in a bunch of stuff that really doesn't move the story forward. You know why? Because that's what they remember. We called this series the book of Mark, an eyewitness account, and we told you that it's really Mark giving. Peter's first-hand account of what was going on along with some of his own first-hand experiences. And one of the great proofs is stuff like this. There were also other boats with him. Why would he say that? Because that's what Peter remembered. There were other boats there too. We weren't alone. Now that's really interesting because though it doesn't seem to move the story forward, God never includes anything without purpose. So what can we get from that? Well, these other boats and the people in them were in the storm as well. And when Jesus calmed the storm in response to the pleas of the disciples in the boat he was in, those in the other boats experienced the same calm they experienced, only it was very, very different. Because the people in Jesus' boat, they were, they were seeing what was going on. He's asleep, and they woke him up, and they're saying, hey, you know, the wind, you're going to let us drown. And he said, peace be still, and the wind stopped, and the waves went down, and it was glass. And I mean, they were a part of that. They knew what was going on. People in the other boats didn't see any of that stuff going on. And there in the wind, taking Dramamine and all that stuff, right? And then all of a sudden, boom. Have you ever seen a body of water that was like glass? It went from waves to glass in a second. Can you imagine? Oh, it was out of nowhere this happened. But you see, it wasn't out of nowhere. It occurred because the disciples in the boat with Jesus were interacting with him. And as a result of that interaction, even though their faith was weak... Jesus calmed the storm. He had no intention of calming the storm until they woke him up. He had intention of getting some sleep. But they woke up, they interacted, and he calmed the storm. But here's what I want you to see. The people in the other boats experienced the calm because of the interaction of the few in the boat with Jesus. Our faith is being watched by and impacting other people's lives. That's the point. Your faith is going to affect other people. Your lack of faith is going to affect other people. Our faith matters for far more than just ourselves. It ultimately matters to everyone around us because when God starts doing something in our life, it changes the reality of the people around us. Our faith has more to do with others than we often think. And so our faith affects all those in our sphere of influence. In Northridge language, it affects all of our thems, our family, our friends, our co-workers, anyone in our lives. We have to understand this. 
There's another faith lesson that jumps out to me as I walk through this story. And it's the simple reality that fear is a symptom of unbelief. When we experience fear, we need to know that it stems from a lack of faith. And fear can be wrapped up with anxiety and worry and stress and all those things involved in it. And all of those things are a symptom of unbelief. Look at verses 38 through 40. It says, Jesus was in the stern. By the way, I'm kind of a boat guy. I love water. Uh, And I just want to kind of get a read of you. Um, What part of the boat is the stern? Thank you very much. That's awesome. That's awesome. Wasn't it fun to talk boat language just for a little bit here in the middle of the winter? Okay. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? So much in that. Let me ask a question so you can help me get at the truth here. How concerned was Jesus about the storm? Not at all. He's sleeping in the stern on a cushion. How concerned were the disciples? Petrified. They woke him up. So what was the difference? Well, the difference is simple. Jesus had no doubts that God the Father was in control. And the disciples significantly doubted that God the Father was concerned and in control. And you say, well, Jesus is God. He is. But what you don't understand, maybe, is that Jesus, when he walked in his humanity on this planet, did not walk in the power of his divinity. He walked in the weakness of his humanity in full submission to the power of God the Father and God the Spirit. And as we've already seen in this series, every morning he kind of got his walking papers from God. He, he spent time with God and God instructed him about where he was going to go and what he was going to say. And, and so the Father had kind of relayed this to him. The Spirit was inspiring this in him, and he had no doubt that God the Father cared about them in the storm and that God was in control. And so Jesus had no problem sleeping in the midst of this hurricane. But the disciples had all kinds of doubts. They woke him up. Think about it. Don't you care that we're going to drown? They'd already affirmed he was God, right? So don't you care? You, you don't care that we're going to drown. What were they doing? They were doubting his concern. They were doubting his care. They were doubting his attention of their life. They were doubting that he knew what was going on. They were doubting that he was truly who he said he was. And they certainly didn't think he was in control of the storm. And what was the result in their life? Fear. You see, the outcome of faith in God is peace. The outcome of doubt and unbelief is fear. Jesus had perfect faith, and so he had perfect peace. The disciples had serious unbelief, and they were paralyzed by fear. Now, if we're honest, we relate more to the disciples here than we do to Jesus. I mean, think about it. I mean, look at Jesus' first question. I mean, quite frankly, it's a bit bizarre from our perspective, if we're honest. Many of us try and make it easier and more simple than than it really is, and we try and kid each other about where we're really at. But when we're really honest, that first question, it's bizarre. They're in the midst of this tsunami, 
And Jesus said, why, why are you so afraid? Um, well, let's see. We're in a little teeny boat in the middle of a big body of water, and there's a hurricane going on. Could have something to do with why we're a little afraid. But with his second question, Jesus makes it clear that it wasn't the circumstance of the storm and the little boat on the, on the Sea of Galilee that was causing their fear. It was their lack of faith that was causing their fear. I mean, that's simple. They were focused on the wind and the waves instead of on God himself. They feared because they didn't believe that God was bigger than the wind or bigger than the waves. They feared because they didn't truly believe that God was always in control. They were trying to wake him up. The text tells us they thought God was asleep on the job. And we have the same problem, don't we? Can we just be honest and stop pretending that this whole spiritual journey thing is easy? Can we just be honest? We have the same problem. I mean, fear always accompanies unbelief, but we try and justify our fear as if we still have all kinds of faith. No, we don't. The more unbelief we have in our lives, the more fear we have in our lives, and some of us are dominated by fear and worry and anxiety, and we still claim that we have all kinds of faith. No, we don't. And by the way, this is me. I mean, this is why it's still so difficult, this journey. When we begin to question God's reality, when we begin to question his power, when we get to begin to wonder about his control, when we start thinking he's not really concerned or watching us or he doesn't have compassion, when he's really not present with us, when, when we start questioning that, that his leading is leading us in the right direction, we begin to fear and we can't help it. I just want you to know we can't help it because think about it. It's logical to fear that which is beyond our control. I mean, in a world of physical senses, if you're in a little boat in an ocean with a hurricane going on, and everything you feel and everything you touch and everything you see and everything you hear is just out of control, bigger than you, you know you don't have a chance, does it not make sense to fear? Yes. Well, I don't know why you're not talking to me, but yes, it does. I'll give you the answer because I'm right. You'd be wrong, maybe. I don't know. So, I mean, it makes sense. But, but note this. If we really believe that God is concerned about us, if we really believe that God is in control and more powerful than that storm, all of a sudden it doesn't become logical to fear, it becomes logical to have peace because God is the bigger reality if our faith is there. And so when we fear, we're simply saying God's not our bigger reality. It is true that without God, we are at the mercy of the storms of life. And there are a lot of us who kind of live every day without God. Don't pay him much mind. Don't invite him in. Don't spend time with him. And in those moments, we're at the mercy of the storms of life. And can I tell you something about the storms of life? They have no mercy. But it's also true that with God, we're not at the mercy of the storms of life. We're at the mercy of God, and God is full of mercy. We have nothing to fear. But the question is, are we doing life with him or without him? Are we living life by faith or without faith? Are we allowing our faith to overcome our physical senses or are our physical senses stronger in overcoming our faith? 
can we just be honest about this? It's difficult to have faith strong enough to overcome what we see and feel and smell and hear and touch. And here's the point. Faith is vital if we're going to live in this crazy world without being controlled or paralyzed by fear. Faith is vital. Look at Psalm 46. The psalmist knew this. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength and an ever-present help in trouble. I mean, he's our safe place, even in the midst of the great trouble. And then look at the trouble. It gets very hyperbolic here. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give away. By the way, if the earth gives away, what's going to happen? We're bye-bye. Though the earth give away... And the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surge. I mean, if the whole world is falling apart, he says, we won't fear, because God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. In other words, God's our security. God's bigger than whatever we're trusting. And so if we trust him, we won't have fear. But if we don't, what will happen? We'll fear. And can we be honest? Most of us fear things far less than the world falling apart, the mountains falling in the ocean and all that stuff. Why? Because we don't really believe with our whole heart in his presence. So we fear. There's another faith lesson that jumps out of this story. While while what God does is crazy hard for us to wrap our brain around, it's normal for him. Now this is so important to see. I mean, I... I, I, I love water, and so I'm used to the water. I grew up on the water. My parents had a lake on the home that they raised us in, and um, I, 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 if the lake was on the home, that'd be pretty interesting. <laughs> they, they, had a, they had a home on the lake. Actually, if, to be honest, it was on the shore of a lake. That's even better to say. So, but there we were, and I mean, I, I've seen waves all my life, and what I've never seen is a wavy lake immediately become like glass. It's crazy. I can't, it's crazy hard to wrap my brain around the fact that in a moment, the waves that were swallowing the boat became glass. That's hard to wrap your brain around, isn't it? But, but here's what you need to see. It's absolutely normal for God. It's an extension of who he is. I mean, look at those verses again. I'll just read 39 and 41. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. I mean, they woke him up and it was nothing to him. He, he, he goes, oh my gosh, let me sleep. Be still. <laughs> it wasn't a big deal. It's not like, it's not like he, you, know, you know when we're doing something really hard? We get in the position, right? It's not like he did any of that. He didn't see this as hard. This is normal. It's like, wind stop, waves be calm. It was normal for him, and it's just crazy hard for us to understand. Because it's so crazy hard for us to understand, and it's so unnormal to us, look at how we react. Look at verse 41. They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And here's my point. When we really know and understand who God is, it changes the way we see and experience everything else in this world. You see, when we really understand and have faith in who God is, we don't see through the lens of our inability. We don't see ourselves as very, very small, in a small boat, in a big ocean, in a hurricane, almost ready to die. We see ourselves as in the hand of God. And it changes our whole perspective. We see ourselves through the lens of his ability. It's a big deal. When we really know who he is, it changes how we see the world. 
There's another faith lesson that jumps out of here. The, those who are terrified of God, and can I just be honest with you, there are a lot of people who are terrified of God. Even those who sing worship songs and come to church and pretend they're not terrified of God. Even uh, we are often terrified of God in his reality, which is why we keep the real God so far from us. Many of us kind of just keep the rituals of God and the outside you know, stuff of God, but we don't let God in. Very few of us are open-chested and inviting God in to do everything. Why? Because we see him as dangerous. I mean, he'll change all our dreams. He'll change our circumstance. He might lead us into storms. And I, I, Look, I've been a pastor a long time, and I'm going to tell you, as a pastor a long time, I am sometimes absolutely terrified about what God's going to ask me to do and what he'll do in my life. And, and I deal with a lot of people, and let me just tell you, most people are terrified of God. But let me tell you, those who are terrified of God have an, a, a, an incomplete understanding of him. I mean, they have an incomplete faith. True of me, true of you. I mean, verse 41 again. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The first time, years and years ago, that I read this text, I thought the word terrified was just a, going to the storm again, right? They were afraid of the storm. They were terrified of the storm. That's not at all what's going on. The storm's gone now. And they become terrified. They were afraid in the storm. They're terrified after the storm. What happened? Well, what happened was God, Jesus showed himself to be God, to be in control of the uncontrollable, to, to have more power than the storm and more power than the sea. And when they realized they were in the presence of this kind of power, the power of divinity, it terrified them. And it just shows that their faith in him and their understanding of him was incomplete. And the same is true of us. Now listen, this is so important to get. They believed in his power, but they didn't believe in his love. This is proved in the passage because they, they were shaking him. Wake up, you don't care. You don't care that we're going to drown. What are they saying? You don't love us. You don't care. And here they experience this power. Why are they terrified? Because there is nothing more dangerous than power without love. Right? Someone has power and no compassion. They are dangerous. And they, this is how they were. And know this. There were lots of false gods in their day. And the pagan cultures looked at their false gods as powerful but not compassionate which is why they lived in fear of their deities and they sacrificed their their kids to these deities because they saw these deities as powerfully hostile and dangerous and this story simply shows that the disciples were more influenced by their culture than they knew because they started believing that their god was powerful but not compassionate and do you know why we fear god why we're terrified of him while we don't invite him in because we actually think he is powerful he can do what he wants in our lives but it won't be good we have an incomplete understanding an incomplete faith they believed in his control but not his compassion they believed in his holiness but not his grace and I believe we have the same problem we believe he's dangerous we avoid him we withdraw from him because we're terrified of him and we're terrified of him because we don't really understand who he is he is powerful, but he's also compassionate. It's a big deal. And here's the final faith lesson that comes out of this passage in my mind. And it's really sad, if I'm honest. The winds obey him, 
the waves obey him, but we don't. Do you know how sad that is? How different would this world be if, like the winds and like the waves, we obeyed God? And I just want you to know it speaks loudly about how much we really love him or don't. We sing about his love in church and we talk about his love with one another, but but quite frankly, the greatest way to show our love is through obedience. Look at John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will, what? Obey me. Yeah. Crazy. Now, here's the truth, that all of these faith lessons converge to teach us. This is so important. When you put this whole story together, it kind of converges in this one overriding truth, and it's simply this. Faith in Jesus is our only security. Faith in Jesus is our only security. I mean, Psalm 46 said it, God is our refuge and strength. He's our safe place, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear if the whole world caves around us because faith in God, in Jesus, is our only security. He's your safe place. But that's not how we look at life. You see, we think our safe place is found in different circumstances. They, they thought their safe place was going to be in, in no wind and no waves, but, but then they got no wind and waves, and what were they? They were terrified. And I'm going to tell you right now, the circumstances that you think are your problem aren't your problem. You won't have safety if God gives you different circumstances. You won't have safety if you have better economic realities and a better bank account or a better job. Or you won't have more security if you get a better spouse. That's not going to happen. And yet this is what we focus on. Think about your prayer life. Think about even what you talk to God about. Isn't it often Asking God to change your circumstances because you believe your circumstances are your problem? That's what they were saying. If you'd get rid of these waves and the wind, we'd be okay, but they weren't okay. He was okay in the middle of the wind and the waves. He was asleep in the boat. And I want you to know, God doesn't lead us into the storm because he's trying to make our lives worse. He leads us in the storm so we'll know we're safe in or out of the storm as long as we're with him. Jesus, faith in Jesus is our only security. We have to stop praying for God to change our circumstances and we need to start asking God to reveal himself to us. To open our eyes to his presence in the middle of the storm. Psalm 23, the great psalm says, he's my shepherd and he walks with me even through the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't take you out of the valley of the shadow of death, but he walks with you in it when it's your time to go. He's your safe place. So let me give you the application. Are you all with me? Is everybody okay? Everybody alive? Okay, no one's died yet? Fantastic. If we're going to know and experience peace and calm in this very turbulent world, it's not going to be as a result of us changing our circumstances or fixing our problems. It's going to be the result of us learning to trust Jesus. 
And we need to learn to trust Jesus no matter what's going on around us. We need to learn to trust Jesus no matter how unaware he seems to be of our circumstances. It might seem like he doesn't care. It might seem like he's got his back turned to us. It might seem like he's asleep in the back of the boat. It might seem like he really has no compassion towards us, but it's wrong. We need to learn to trust him no matter how life seems. And this is where it gets tough for me. The whole talk was started on the premise of the fact that the spiritual journey, many make it sound easy, but it's not easy. But we can learn how to trust him. We can learn to develop a trust for him that overrides our physical senses, but we have to do what it says in this passage. If we're going to learn to trust him, we need to know and understand the truth about who we are. And if you see it in this passage, they, they don't understand the truth of who they are. They actually think they can fix the storm problem. Trying to control God, control Jesus, wake up, fix the storm, do all this different stuff. They don't really understand the truth about who they are. Here, we have to understand the truth. Many of the problems in our life occur because we think we're in control. We're not. We think we're able. We're not. We, we, we think we can make wise choices. We can't. We can't even see beyond today. We, we think we're always right. We're not. We need to know and understand the truth about ourselves. And when we know the truth about ourselves, then we'll have a tendency to want to look outside ourselves and trust someone else, right? And if we're going to learn to trust him, then we need to know and understand the truth about our circumstances. We think the circumstances are our problem. They're not. And we need to know that truth or else we're going to keep trying to change our circumstances. Some of us are 120 years old and we're still trying to fix our life by fixing our circumstances. When are we going to realize when the horse is dead, we should dismount? You think about that for a little while. (laughs) You keep riding the same horse. I'm going to change the circumstances. My life will change. No, it won't. And we need to know the truth. And many of us think that the storms are bigger than us. There's nothing we can do. We're wrong. They may be bigger than us. They may be beyond our ability to manage and control and deal with like this storm was in the disciples' life. But they aren't bigger than God. And we need to know the truth about our circumstances. Your problems, whatever your problems are, might be big and devastating and tragic. Just like a hurricane in the middle of an ocean with a small bow. But they are not bigger than God. And you need to know the truth. Because when you know that truth, you'll start trusting God instead of your own ability to try and change your circumstances. And finally, if we're going to trust him, we need to know and understand who he is. He's God. He's able He's controlling. He's, he, he, he's in control. And he wants what's best for us. He's not against us. He's for us. He cares. He's compassionate. And, and I want you to know that this is why God tells us that we should go to his word, the Bible, if we want to grow in faith. Remember, faith is the critical issue of our life, the defining characteristic. If we're ever going to know God, And if we want to know faith, we have to turn to the Bible because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Why is that? Because it's only in the Bible that we're going to hear the truth about who we are. It's only in the Bible we're going to hear the truth about our circumstances. And it's only in the Bible we're going to hear the truth about who he is so we can ultimately experience the trust that will set us free. And this is why we've challenged you in this series to take the chair challenge to every single day start opening God's truth so you can start learning to trust him. And as we end this weekend, I just want to give you two ways that we need to trust him, just two ways. The first is this. We need to trust him for our salvation. 
We need to trust him for our salvation. I mean, religion won't do it for us. Others can't. I mean, we need to trust him for our salvation. And how do we know we need him for our salvation? Well, open the Bible and it tells us the truth about ourselves. You know what our problem is? We're sinners. And we feel totally defeated by sin. We're trying to overcome it, but we know it rules us and owns us. We can't overcome it. I mean, we want to do good, but we don't do good. And, and we just think we're just destined to be this forever. But then we see in the Bible the truth that our our failures aren't final, that Jesus came and died for our sins and he can take them away and give us new life. And then we open the Bible and we see we're sinners and failure doesn't have to be final. We can be forgiven, but the truth is only Jesus can be our savior. And so when we see those things, we can trust him. Romans 10.9 says, if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, the truth about ourselves, we're not Lord, he's Lord. And believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. We can be saved. He can change our circumstances. But we need to trust him. So before I share with you the last big application that we can apply to our lives as we move out this weekend, I, I'm going to ask you and invite you to pray with me just for a minute. Would you, would you just kind of bow your heads and pray with me in whatever regional campus you're at or if you're online? And if you're here and you've not yet experienced Jesus transform you from the inside out, forgive you, why not trust him for your salvation right now? Take my words in this prayer and make them yours. Just in your heart, quietly to God, say, I need you. I've been living as if I'm in control of my life. I've been living as if I'm the king and I've sinned against you. I've left you out. But I need you. And I believe you can forgive me and change my circumstances. But first I need you to forgive me. And so, Jesus, I'm giving you my sin. I'm trusting your death on the cross. And I'm believing in your resurrection to give me new life. Save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, but just before I give you this last application, if you prayed with me in our services, we give you this program. And there's just a little connection card we put inside to make it easy for you to communicate to us. And you just fill it out, and on the bottom, you check off that circle that says you prayed with me. And... And it's easy to get back to us. There are boxes at every exit. You just throw it in. And, and we're going to send you a letter about next steps that you could take in your journey with God. And if you're watching online, just hit the what next button and we'll do the same for you. But here's the thing. I know that God's doing a work in some people's lives here. And just because, you know, we say goodbye doesn't mean the work stops and all the answers are there. And so we've actually developed a spiritual team that would love to answer questions you might have spiritually or have a conversation with you about where you're at in your spiritual life or pray with you or pray for you. And, and all you have to do is, when we say goodbye, everybody's leaving, all you have to do is you have to just come forward and sit in the front here. I mean, no one's going to interrupt you. Most people are leaving. But our team will come and sit down with you and pray with you or have a conversation with you. We'd love for you to take that step. One last application. Since faith is the critical issue of our life and we can trust him, we need to trust him, and I'm going to use a word God used that covers everything. We need to trust him for our everything. And I know you're not doing this. I certainly know I'm not doing this because I have areas of anxiety and worry and fear in my life, don't you? Don't you? Those are areas, by the way, thank you, that was awesome. Those are areas where we lack faith. And those are areas where we need to learn to trust him. 
And what we have to do is we have to open the Bible and realize the truth about ourselves. We're powerless. The truth about our circumstances. They may be more powerful than us, but they're not the real problem, and they're not bigger than God. And we need to learn the truth about Jesus. He's power. And no matter what we're facing, he's all we need. Look at Philippians 4.13. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can do everything with no fear through him who gives me strength. We need to learn to trust him for our everything. Now, as we leave, I, I don't want you to think that the Christian life is easy or simple. If I said anything that makes it seem like this is simple and easy, I want to correct myself. It's not. It's difficult. It's hard. But it's worth it. And the key in every circumstance of life, even when you're in a small boat in a huge ocean in the midst of a hurricane, the key is to trust God because he's in control. And when we do, it gives us a peace that passes understanding. It, it allows us to experience, as we sang earlier in the service, it is well with my soul even in the middle of the turbulence. When we, when we truly trust him, it changes everything. So I want to encourage you, leave trusting. And when we leave trusting, we leave believing the words of this benediction from Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all God's people said, have a great week.